Hubhopper Originals. To start your podcast for free, log on to studio.hubhopper.com. This episode is sponsored by Blue Microphones. Head on to community.hubhopper.com to check out their amazing range of products. The Blue Microphone consists of the Blue Voice technology, which produces clear broadcast quality sound for podcasting and is compatible with both Mac and Windows. The Blue Microphone range is highly recommended for all podcasters. Hello and welcome back to Heart of My Sleeve. This is Mancha Kaur and you're listening to me on Hub Hopper. I think I took the last episode on the importance of rest and pause so I live it too seriously. After a few bouts of not feeling my best and a few covid scares, I decided to take September off as far as the podcast is concerned. And so after much much delay, I'm finally getting to share this amazing episode with you. Today's guest is very special. She is the CEO at Cry India. That's child rights and you. She believes that children are the very foundation of every nation's growth and development aspirations. It was this belief that fueled her passion for children's rights and pushed her to become a full-fledged part of the social sector in 1994. After quitting her job at City Corp, she joined Cry to set up their HR function and in February of 2010 became their chief executive. She currently serves on the board of Vani, which is the Voluntary Action Network of India and is also a TEDx speaker. It's a long episode. So without any further delay, here's Pooja Marwaha. Hi Mancha. How are you? I'm good. So tell me. Yeah. Shoot away. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So let's start. Let's start off our conversation by asking you what in your opinion is the importance of giving? on the day i walked in to cry there's a mission statement up there it said that the organization was here to enable people to take responsibility for children and that was something that spoke to me on that day and speaks to me till today because i really do believe that if if we as individuals decide to take charge we decide to say we're not helpless spectators of or whether it be um children in distress or families living in poverty or anything any issue that speaks to us you know there are really two ways to react one is that you say what can i do the problem is too big i'm overwhelmed by it what will my little bit do and the other is to actually take charge in that that and say i will try to move this mountain and it involves i feel like a deeper a deeper realization that you know this one of my favorite quotes that these mountains these rivers they were not created by themselves we created them so if we created them we can recreate and to me the 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 act of beginning to give to others uh who you feel a uh, need 
to be given to is really the beginning of that taking charge of yourself and your own agency to change, right? That I can change something. I, and many people start with, okay, it's okay with one child. I started like that, but today that's not something that satisfies me at all. I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to make big changes. Yeah. And, and I king of your agency in your own hands is really what, uh, to me, is the most wonderful part about giving. And the initial gains, I think, and you can stay at that level of uh, advantage or gain, is that, of course, you feel good, right? You felt you shared something. So what, in your experience, motivates or compels people to give? I think something moves inside them uh, which is really about saying, can I actually share? Can I uh, help another person? And many times they may do it without an ask. Sometimes they, an ask may bring about it. But I think you have to reach that point of being able to share what you have. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that as long as there is too much anxiety about uh, gathering for yourself, you will find it hard and difficult to give. But I, I think really the point is when you start feeling uh, you want to do something. Yeah. And then, and people give of themselves in many ways, right? They also give voluntary time. They give uh, things. Um, they could give money. But yeah, it has to come from that change or that shift uh, inside you that says, I can actually make a difference. Yeah. No, because what's really interesting is that, so obviously not around children's rights or anything like that, but Mm. my sister, she had done this full campaign during, you know, what had gone on in Northeast Delhi and she'd done a full fledged donation center that was set up and all of that. And what I found interesting and weird because she was doing all of the you know on the ground stuff the logistics and all of that so she told me and one or two others in our family to help push it out on social media and what I found really strange and interesting at the same time was that when you just put something up and leave it there it there will be certain people who deeply care about the cause that will come forth But the second you start putting up the donations of the people who other people know, so people in your friend circle, for example, there becomes this social pressure. So it was really interesting because I just thought that, you know, putting up one or two of our friends who had uh, donated, putting up those screenshots just might... Touch people. And it did. And how? Because... Then that led to three days of non-stop pouring in from people all over the world. And uh, I mean, the campaign in itself, because all of us started doing this after that. You know, we collected more than a crore worth of goods for these people. And it was insane. It was amazing. And, and that's why this question um, that I've mm. asked you, like what compels people? See, sometimes it's a, like you said, you feel strongly about the issue. Yeah. So you will instantly, like for me, if it's about old people, I, I instantly give, right? Because it's just very uh, close. So it's partly that, but I've also seen there are complex, like you're saying, there are many things at play, right? Uh, one is that to believe 
uh, I think when people see other people giving, there is a trust building that happens. It acts almost like a, we call it a lift letter. You know, it's almost like somebody who you know and trust saying, look, I know and trust this person enough to be able to give. And that's what acts as an impetus for people. You know, for example, I remember we had a defense list and we had a senior retired admiral who used to work with us. And he just sent a simple letter saying, you know, I believe in this cause and uh, I know what's going on here. And yeah, it it kind of gets people uh, to say, oh, okay, uh, Johnny trusts these guys, so so why? So that's that's partly. There are also uh, there are very clever ways, uh, of course, across the world that people use, which is also, I suppose, social pressure in a way, right? Like a gala, a fundraising gala is a typical American Western concept, which is very pressure based. Yeah. And a little bit of, you know, I look good. Uh, so there is that as well. But that's not the large majority. The large majority, I think, really give because somebody reaches them. First of all, I think that's one thing I would really like to say. It is very critical to learn to ask. You know, it is very critical to believe that people will give and to do the ask. And then it amazes you how many people actually respond to the ask. Yeah. Because most of us are very reticent, especially in India, we're brought up to be very reticent about asking. We're good at giving. Daan karo. Right? But uh, we are not equally good at being able to ask and not see it as a personal humiliation or issue. So to me, I think the dignity in the act of asking. And I remember I learned that when I came to cry, where one of my first mentors said to me, she said, but we are doing them a favor, actually. We are giving them an opportunity. We are asking on behalf of children. So it's a tremendously win-win situation because they are also getting an opportunity to give. So I think the ask at the right place, the correct amount of trust, and of course, belief in the issue. So very often giving is based around how much you trust uh, the person who's asking or the organization that's asking. It's a very valuable factor in the mix has to be there that's pretty interesting like you said it's in our dna that you don't even consider that i think it applies to more than just you know asking somebody to donate also when it comes to asking people like as young individuals we are so reticent to ask anyone when it comes to a work related assignment as well absolutely You make it about you instead of focusing on the good work that you're doing and how it's a part of that. It's almost as though it's like a personal insight. Yeah. So, you you know, we can turn giving into a co-created activity. Yeah. You know, where I'm getting a chance to give and I'm getting a chance to ask. You know, it's as great for both sides, really. So yeah. it takes away that, you know, to me, as long as we allow it to stay in that Right, I am giving you, and you are necessarily have to be like this bechara recipient. Yeah, no, very true. So, in the past, donating generally uh, to charities was something that people did after a certain age or being at a certain level of success. But I think hmm. because social media does have its those thanks in part to social media. There's a lot more visible activism. There's a lot more, well, social pressure in certain cases. There are campaigns going viral. 
and then there's also i think with the younger generations there's a lot of inclination to affect change in some way or another so especially when it comes to being a part of social change in any manner or form because there is this platform where you don't have to go through the nitty gritties of things you don't have to get down and dirty you can start with mm. in these little squares beautiful creative way of doing that same thing so firstly my question is this how have you in your tenure of working at cry and generally being a part of the space behavior and approach towards giving towards donating evolved during your time oh very interesting so this thing about you know when i started out um, many many years ago uh, at that time there was giving was at least giving to secular causes like cry uh, or help page or whatever was driven by primarily direct mail there was no internet there was no i know it's difficult for your generation to imagine i mean no computers right they just about had computers and the internet was still a a twinkle in somebody's eye so the the method to approach people was direct mailing or it could be personal relationships friendships events yeah so there was a lot of events that we did you know physical spaces where people could come and you know artists would sing for us or whatever so it was interesting that there was a very diverse way of giving that these things actually allowed for but the reach was limited yeah you know you could only reach those number of people right who either got mailed or or you happened to meet somebody who knew somebody i mean when i joined in my sort of circles at that time and my corporate secret circles i mean ngos were not even a real thing so most people thought i was a really crazy you know so what is this like what is this thing and then i saw like in the 2000s what happened was that we organizations like cry uh, started expanding our ability to ask people so it became a little more professionalized in terms of professional fundraisers to be able to go out and physically get people in by this time giving in the west had already kind of moved online not as crowdfunding but it had moved to bank transfers because as their banking systems got sophisticated uh, more and more people moved to this monthly giving kind of space and i think the other thing that happened in the west first and happened in india later was that each person felt that they could give so we always say that cry actually gets credit for that because when we started off uh, our our founder in 79 there nobody used to believe that there was any money in india and anyone would give but he believed there was he said i will get indians to give so th- it was almost creating of that culture to say you give 240 rupees you know i will put it together and pool it so you also the the traditional like you said correctly what is the traditional concept of daan in india a it is the rich who give raja deta hai you know nobody if you look at the krishna sudama story it is krishna's greatness that he gave to sudama right but nobody values that bowl of gruel that sudama offered to krishna so this raja giving is used to translate into rich people can only give yeah the rest of us are really too poor so that is one thing that had to be changed and busted and was 
I believe, in the last 25 years, right? Uh, to today where people think it's okay, even if I'm giving, you know, 10 bucks to a friend for their dog shelter or whatever, it's okay, right? Because I know that my 10 and somebody else's and somebody else's will make the money, right? So that, I think, is a big uh, switch that I see, right? This whole thing of I have to be very rich or I have to be very old. A lot of people said to me, why are you doing this now? And then I realized there was this strong concept of Hindu culture, which was Vanaprast. Now I am retired. Now I will do for society. Hmm. So people said, me, you're crazy. You're like 28. What, what's wrong with you? You know, you can earn so much money. And why would you do this? So I think that that's the other notion. I think that is beginning to change. The young people today are feeling I can do something. Exactly. You know, and in a sense, uh, it's happened in the U.S. We, we had our first volunteer-based fundraising start in the U.S. in the 90s, where it had already become a cool thing for young people to stand up for a cause. Yeah. Ask for a cause, to fundraise. In fact, today, if you're not like a woke person, you're not very cool. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Everyone's got their charities everybody gives yeah. regardless yeah. so i think to me that's the next stage for indian society mm. which is to say that you know giving is part of my identity maybe you're like you're right maybe it's social pressure but that's not a bad thing if it makes people do good things exactly yeah and be better people than i personally don't have a problem with that yeah but it's it's also a identity creation thing Today, as I see it, I mean, today we have in 2000, we had maybe 100 volunteers across five cities. Today, we have like 4000 volunteers and counting. And I'm not even counting the online volunteers. We can't find enough assignments for people. So young people also saying I may not have money, but I have time. I have talent. And that is the other big change that I see. And now today, increasingly, so giving in India in many ways, if I look at cry, started in Bombay. It started out of a very interesting facet of Parsi culture. All our initial donors were Parsi in the 90s. And then it, it became cool to give fast there. And I think now it's spread to wider, not as far and as wide through rich society as we would want it to be. But yeah, I don't think today you can be a very rich person and not have at least a foundation, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you know, at the least you have to look like you're doing something. So Yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with that last point. Like even when it comes to, you know, um younger people who are from more well off families on social media you at least have to look like you're doing something even when you may not be. But again, that social pressure is enough when somebody around you starts something to do something good. Like there is that pressure. And like you said, eventually if the end result is good, the intention that one starts with might be of lesser importance as long as you're helping. Yeah, yeah. And my second question with all of this in mind is that how can individuals, especially as we're talking about the younger generation, have a larger role to play in all of it? Where and how do they start? Because um, 
yes uh, there are a lot of people that is you know like there are these viral campaigns there is this activism and whatever also to seem like a certain type of person like you use the word woke so i think there is a lot of that but again the stage that we're at people are more willing to share a post on social media than to actually maybe take out the time and give and of course like there has been this change versus you know like you said in the 90s and 2000s but where do we start and how do we start i think as young people i know for myself um i think the first thing is to f- decide what is it that you really feel strongly about and would like to uh support yeah and it could be the environment it could be children it could be old people i mean it could be any issue right it could be casteism it could be but i think what is a good idea is to actually sit down with yourself and figure out um where do you think change can be made possible for the future and i would i would urge uh, young people to think about what would be what could sustainable change look like because if i'm going to put my life force into something you know i don't want it to be a temporary bandaid type thing so i know the temptation is very high the temptation is very high to just go out and feed 25 people the temptation is very high to just say oh i'm going to start a school and you know run whatever i just want to teach children but it may be wiser to think about can you sustain it yeah. is it sustainable have you transferred power or uh, any kind of capacity to people hmm. you have not right so think about what you want to support in terms of work that will last that will actually create capabilities for the people concerned so then it doesn't remain an act of i felt bad i did something and you know then i got on i think that is very important that i i i think young people have so much more access to information than we did yes honestly right they can go on as my daughter calls it her friend google <laughs> and <laughs> you know uh, just uh, check out and see what are the varieties of things that happen because there is sometimes a lot or lot of lack of understanding about civil society action that exists so then we cling to what we understand best like i can go and teach children it's easy i can understand it yeah but vis-a-vis why should i go and participate in an amnesty campaign for human rights yeah it's only a campaign i mean nothing's going to happen yeah. yeah so i think to me the other that that in little investment into just understanding the nature of change and what makes sustainable change and how it's required at so many levels mm. that i always say children would not be in labor in india if you and i believed that they should not be but in india we are fatalistic about it we believe that poor children have no other option so we accept it as a larger society right so i think that's something very important and then act and you know what i actually don't think that sharing a campaign is a bad thing it's great yeah. it's a huge first step share a campaign go and sign on to a change.org thing if that's what gets you you know whatever the issue is that you've selected 
look at it, there is so much in civil society that you will find that is organized, that is sustainable, yeah? yeah. And go in there and add your voice. And I think that's really interesting because I forget who had spoken about this, but it also spoken about how right now we're at the other extreme of things where anything and everything, and there are about five or 20 things, in fact, that come up every day. So everyone's sharing or talking about or just in that moment till it's trending on Twitter or whatever, everyone feels mm. very strongly about that cause. And five days later, they may forget about the cause altogether. So somewhere, mm. what I feel is that um, one should, like you said, sit with yourself, figure out what do you care about and where can you mm. versus fine, this is great. It's great to raise awareness, but we're also now at a stage where everyone's raising awareness about everything. And when you tend to do that, it all gets lost in the mm-hmm. lost online. So if you are passionate about something or if you feel strongly about something, it's go cool. after it. Yeah. And you'll find a clutch of organizations. You'll find people, you know, you will find company. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And and I think that's really an important first step. And then, I mean, I've seen then people go, I mean, there is a bunch of volunteers today who tells us, you know, I'm very good at translations. So we need, like, for example, in COVID times, right? There were government directions coming out every day for the districts we were working in or the states we were working in. And there were young volunteers just translating. For us and our communities, that was invaluable. I cannot describe to you, right? Yeah. Because actually getting professional translation is a very expensive job. Two whole bunch. We had like 800 campaigns run by volunteers. They just ran small campaigns on Keto. I want to like raise one leg. I want to raise, you know, my secretary, uh, who is a, a Neelam, who's a, like a senior executive, she raised uh, one lakh rupees on her own from her friends. Wow. You know, she just decided on her birthday, on Nevi's birthday, she wanted to run a campaign. A campaign is more about, like you say, not putting your heart on your sleeve. <laughs> but you're actually putting the, the flag there, right? And saying, this is what I'm going to do. And, and one of the things I've realized, and I feel sad about, actually, for young people is that, and it's not young people, it was the same at our time, yeah? Uh, if I'm honest about it, is that it, you were not, it's not supposed to be cool to be passionate. You're supposed to be professional and detached and all of that. And I always said to people, I'm not. I'm sorry. This is who I am. If it frightens you, it frightens you. Because people come in and say, oh, I can't be as committed to cry as you. I'm like, I don't be. But I am. I'm not going to hide it or apologize for it. Right? So I think that to be uh, that person is something that people just need to give themselves the freedom to be. I would say it's okay. You know, if people say something to you, oh, you're crazy about the environment, oh, your posts are really troublesome. You know, I know several vegan, you know, Peter kind of friends who people just like, oh my God, why do you send me these posts? You know, yeah. that's who they are. And I think that is what you young people actually can beautifully and brilliantly do. I mean, you guys are so connected that we are not. Like to me, Twitter is still a strange animal. Yeah. You know, I can't join a conversation. I feel very scared. I'm like, oh, what am I going to say in so many characters? <laughs> I 
and if you find those two to three things that you care about you will be a little more passionate about those things to begin with i mean how much can you be passionate about something that you only acknowledge for a day when you yeah. and then get over it so i yeah think- you may also do that for the sake of a friend but it is nice to say okay this is what i'm going to stand for and i'm going to find out as much as i can about it what i want to understand is that like you said um at 28 this was a very unlikely choice for you to have made so what has your personal journey been and how did you decide to switch careers and begin working in the development sector at a time where i mean it was definitely not cool <laughs> so <laughs> uh well i would say it was really the person i was maybe So one thing is that when I uh, did my MBA, they made us do this. They gave us exposure to rural uh, India, and that was like a seed that went in and kind of sat there. Uh, as in, the seed was of the sheer inequality, yeah. right? The sheer lack of access that Indian citizens had to basic amenities. Right? They had never seen a road. They had never seen a bus. They had never seen. I mean, there's no question of a school. you know what i mean and i was like these are indian citizens right but uh, so so that was i think a little bit of it but really i moved to bombay to work in 91 having to see and live with that contrast was just what i mean i just knew this was grossly unjust this could not be and this was not the country i was brought up to love and you know my my grandfather was a freedom fighter died in jail and you know there was this very strong concept of india right independent india where everybody would have an equal chance and this was not that place right so i think that was what really triggered me and said you know anyway i'm going to work till 2 in the morning might as well do it for something that uh, really uh, changes something and i must say like i said i started with just something but today i i i i have more ambition than that i feel that work is worth doing if it's at scale you need to find levers that will change things fundamentally like the right to education for example like for something cry fought for and it has changed in one stroke millions of children's lives at least their entitlement right which can be asked for so so that journey i think has been internal for me the starting just with the i want to do something to far more uh, clarity about what is it that i want to do and um also it's been a hugely humbling journey i mean i remember myself coming in as quite a arrogant little twit saying i will give <laughs> you know i will give my services and my i was like having visions of myself as mother teresa i think but i have been so humbled because i think i have got more for myself as a human being as an individual as who i am just as a person from these children and the change that they are capable of making in their own lives so this whole concept of respect for agency that you know all you need to do is give them a chance and they will blow you off the face of the earth in what they will make with it and they have so little to begin with 
in line with that, what are some of the things that these kids have taught you? I think one is that, like I said, how little they need to be able to walk, give them peer support, um, knowledge about what they can do, just simply knowledge about what education can do. Right? Because for most people, education is a path to get a government job, but it's not. It changes their lives in terms of just choice making, just an ability to be logical, just the confidence of being able to read and write. Right? And when you provide inputs that are of that kind, so ensure that their government school works, or you make an adolescent group where they learn from each other and about their peers, they just take charge. Wow. They not only refuse to get, like for example, if it's child marriage, they will ensure that their peer doesn't get married. They will stop trafficking. Yeah. So I think just the learning that, you know, young people can do, young children can do so much more. I must say it is a roller coaster. You learn much more about what children need and it does make you feel very sad about how few children get it, even in privileged families. You know, because you realize that corporal punishment is so given in India. You know, it is not politically incorrect to say, Maine to tamacha laga diya. Right? Or to give freedom of choice to children, to give, listen to their voices. Because so very often they know what they are probably best at. Yeah. Right? Rather than we deciding for them that, oh, you know, it's a practical thing to be this and be that and do this and do that. So there is that part as well. There is this whole bunch of increased knowledge about what children need, what we as uh, human beings, parents, caregivers, duty, bearers of different kinds, right? How can children get their rights if we don't become duty bearers? Right. So both the hope and the sometimes the sadness comes from that same space. You know, and you see a child who was going to get married and today she's a police constable for goodness sake. It's amazing. Right. And you know that here is someone who's got something with them for life. Whatever happens to her, she will be able to take more care of herself than she would have been otherwise. And that permanence, that solidity, yeah, is what you are looking for, right? You're looking for that type of change. I think so many lessons. Like, I learned to listen. I learned that all knowledge was not sitting in books. There was wisdom in practice. There was wisdom among people and communities of what they needed to do. And we won't listen. Because we can speak better English, we can make better PowerPoints. We think we know what they need. So I think to learn that humility of being able to listen and be able to not thrust down our rather alien constructs, actually. Wow, that's, uh, I mean, also so beautifully put, but very uh, moving. Like, I, I feel like I'm learning a lot. I remember someone asked me that, you know, so what have you got from being here? I said, you know, I've just rediscovered my faith in human beings. And I think if I had not come in here, I would have become a cynic. And I have not because you meet the most astounding people. Right. 
I mean, there is young Kavita from Delhi who is from all the worst slums there, would have been harassed, whatever, hounded out of school, probably trafficked, uh, is today the captain of her own little girls cricket team. Wow. You know, and when she met, we got an opportunity for them to meet Virat Kohli. And she asked him, she said, you know, let's, you know, share some tips on captaining. <laughs> <laughs> You know, amazing. I, I think that is the greatest, like when I say that my life has been transformed, I don't just say it because it sounds nice. It has. I can see it as you tell these stories, it's sort of bursting with pride, with joy, with all of these things. And it, it's very visible. And I wish we heard more of these stories and less of the negative news that was surrounding. Yes, yes. yes. You don't know, I have made rounds to newspaper editors saying, will you carry the positive stories, please? And I'm constantly told page six, page eight, you know, page one to only like a dead body. Also because people love hating on India, but like you mentioned at the start of this conversation, it's easier to sort of complain about or think about how we can't do anything. Mm. Is happening or nothing, yeah. Like- and there was young Ripan Kapoor, right? All of 25, middle class boy from Worli, who said, No, I'm not going to raise money from abroad, I'm going to get Indians to give. And then came up with the card idea because anybody could buy a card, right? Exactly. So it's brilliant when people tell me, Oh, Indians don't give, oh, it's also depressing, I wish they would give more. I'm like, Yes, okay. We all wish they would give more. But let me just tell you that just in cry, in my current database, which is not more than 18 years old, I have 20 lakh Indians who have given money, right? Just just one organization, one database. Yeah. I'm saying it's not that bad. And people are amazingly generous, Mansha. I mean, I keep saying, look at these donors, right? If you give me, like we had the story of this little old lady, a Parsi lady in Bombay. Unfortunately, she's died since. And she used to come and we used to wait for her. She would come in one day in the year. And when she had started giving, the cost of educating one child was about 1200 She would come with her 1200 And you know, she didn't have the money to take a cab from Mahalakshmi station to our office. She would walk. And what a precious donation. Because to her was a really large percentage of the money she had and there she was trotting along once a year and we would like ply her with chai and she was a legend in our office right but it was so it is so heartwarming and you'll have kids who like sixth grade you know writing to you I had saved this money for my birthday party but I've decided to give it to you instead wow we need to hear more of these things and we also need to see, you know, there's so much amazing stuff actually happening in this country. I mean, my husband often says, because it's also so cool to hate on a place that you're from or where you live. I think that's another cool thing with, I don't know whether that was always the case, but it is very cool right now for people to do that. And my husband's point with all of this, and it really resonates with me, is that we're constantly talking about all that's not happening, all that's going wrong. If you really care about something so much, why in the world would you not be a part of making that change? And why in the world would you want to run abroad and continue hating on the place that you're from instead of doing something great here? 
there's a lot of that. And I think for that, I mean, I'm going back to my first point. Now you have to first, so you have to stop feeling like a victim and start feeling you have agency. Yeah. I can do, I can make a difference. Very, very, very true. You know, and uh, Ripon said something that has become a maxim in cry. He basically just said what I can do, I must do. Yes. That's it. And it all adds up. Campaign that I told you about, the Northeast Delhi one, what was crazy to me was that somebody reached out to me on Instagram and there, there were a lot of people, people I did not know at all, just money pouring in, donations pouring in, people sending all sorts of things. And there was this one guy and he reached out to me saying that I have sent to this address 75,000 rupees worth of things. And this was by no means a very well-off person. Being from that community, he felt so strongly about that. And these are the stories that we do not hear and are actually so moving and so inspiring. And also when somebody does that around you, it somewhere pushes you to give. In your Exactly. Mind. It does. It does. Like, you know, somebody said to me this uh, COVID time, she said, you know, I was thinking twice about who should I help, who should I not help. And then that person said, you know, at this point of time, you don't think. If someone asks, you just give. We just have to help. Right? People are just on the street. It's just horrific. During this whole COVID time, what has the reality of, you know, the underprivileged children been? You know, the, the reality has been that I think two things have happened, right? One is I think that I hope that we have realized as a society that our poor don't believe in us. The semi-employed people whom we saw walking home were basically telling us as privileged people that I don't believe that you are going to take care of me as an employer, as a government, as a just a privileged person. You are not going to take care of me. So I'm going, however hard that may be. So I think that was a really strong thing that we saw, right? And the other thing was that for our children, they are hugely at risk when they are not in school. So the A, the digital divide jumped up. So when people would say, oh, digital, 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 I'm like, what are you talking about, right? All our surveys tell us that only 12% of our kids, our kids, at least the, the most underprivileged, have access. So there's no such thing that exists, right? It's all very well to say. But we're looking at the solutions. It's what? Somebody's trying to do it over loudspeakers. Somebody's trying television, you know? But people have to have access because there is no internet access. And there may be a phone in the household, but it will be one person's. Normally the male. So the girl child ko chance nahi hai, right? So if in the absence of education, in the, a lot of the girls who were in the groups, adolescent groups, no more support. So we are seeing a spurt in child marriages. Our fear is that children will drop out of school and they will get pushed into labor or marriage. Right? So a lot of the gains that we've made in the last two decades will may get undone by this sheer economic distress. Yeah. Actually, most of us don't know it, but on a daily basis, in order to take care of people, there are so many services, right? There are people taking care of pregnant women, immunizations, um, malnourished children. All of that had been suspended. And it's slowly limping back, slowly. 
immunization stopped how are you going to redo an immunization on a one month old child who needed a dpt right so the loss is huge huh, in terms of services like people uh, most children we know are getting a midday meal at school so at least you got one good balanced nutritious meal now suddenly you didn't right so yeah i believe that there are short term visible losses and there are unfortunately much more long term invisible losses as well which we all have to scramble to now make up you know and figure out what we can do and unfortunately a lot of the charity money has gone into sheer relief surely feeding people etc so like 60% of csr money is finished 60 70% i'm told so i don't know now what's going to happen to the regular uh, work that we need to do given all of this especially at cry like when people donate money individuals donate money where does that go how do you use that money so essentially we work in four areas of rights right and um we work in education which is called the right to development yeah we work in health primarily there's a lot of focus on malnutrition because in india in uh, children under 5 uh, almost 50% of them are malnourished declared malnourished by government so we work a lot in malnourishment we work a lot in uh, protecting children from labor and marriage uh we do a lot of work in ensuring that schools are revived yeah the focus is on the what they call the most marginalized so cry's focus is very rural we attempt to reach the communities and children whom nobody else can reach mm. right so our work will not be centered in the places where there are a lot of other ngos or a lot of money they will not right so we'll hardly have two three projects in bombay but we will have in marathwada or latur or uh, wherever and we are in about 19 states what our belief in sustainability has led us to do is two things one is that we do not run anything alternative ourselves so i won't run a medical camp but i will ensure that the government public health center is working mm. and people are accessing and she is help so the anganwadi bai or the nurses actually helped to reach my community right so a lot of work on connecting people to the services and the second thing that that translates into that search for sustainability is actually we try not to do work directly we try to find community leaders and people running they could be either individual fellows or they could be uh, small organizations who are locally embedded i see and so the whole work is with we fund here we get the money to them and we do capacity building we do you know we do everything from teaching them how to write accounts to auditing their accounts yeah so uh, we do a lot of work in just ensuring that we reach these furthest corners we reach them in ways that you build locally sustainable institutions mm. they could be ngos they could be individuals they could be the government systems but the uh, focus is on actually building uh, this wherever it is so that even if tomorrow cry which is a small organization by any global standards would 
have very uh, would have to pull out there would be work left behind and how can anyone listening in what are the ways in which they can help out and how okay so there are many ways they can help out and we try to make it easy for people to do is to donate right so you could go to the website and look at something that calls to you yeah you know? because some people want to give for health some for others you could uh, uh respond to a call from anybody who might be fundraising in our name and nobody uh, would be allowed to do that unless there was a proper agreement with us so like many corporates raised money for us during the covid but they did it for us yeah so uh, you could do that a lot of people as i said they come and volunteer we've done a lot of work around creating virtual volunteering options as well as virtual interning options so that even in covid times people could continue otherwise most of the volunteering would be to be with children right yeah. which actually had to stop in this time yeah. so uh, i think we had to very quickly create and have had amazing success like in uh, bombay we've had volunteers taking the classes because urban kids are little more connected yeah, yeah. we've had volunteers in uh, jammu and kashmir taking classes with our kids our center people put the kids out in a maidan socially distanced ah. and uh, volunteers are teaching right so you could i mean there, there there are so many options that we've created we have had people making awareness material for us we've had this whole initiative called uh, share corona where we just asked people to do facebook sessions on anything that interests people it could be yoga it could be i mean it could be storytelling so it could be highly skilled stuff and it could be completely like just anything our concept was come and share what you've got wow. you know and you can you can share anything and if you want to raise funds around it please do that so we had this story wala who raised so much money for us we were shocked like they raised 75000 and they did one session wow you know wow. telling stories and how to tell stories and so on you know uh, people have this image that oh i'll have to go and you know paint a wall or something yeah. but yeah you can participate in campaigns we've had young illustrators do amazing little films wow you know we had uh, like a friend uh, uh, ranzi tv and he offered us a free weeks free slots because they had less slots so he said you know you can come and uh, you can put up a cry film and somebody will together a film and like from old footage in like one and a half hours so much to do wow <laughs> uh, one of the last things that i wanted to ask you before we move on to the rapid fire is that i'm sure there's a part of all of this there would be stories of kids where things didn't work out or really you know almost traumatic stories so how do you as somebody working in this how do you let it not get to you how do you let it not overwhelm you or affect your mental health and keep going so that's a really good question a mature question actually because i do call it a roller coaster yeah like i said on a daily basis not only do you get the stories of hope but you also get the stories of loss you also get to know that people heartlessly traffic seven year old girls and you know put them in brothels yeah and um that part of the work is 
really hard you know just knowing so much more yeah yeah so when today i i tell and i see a child i actually almost it's overwhelming because i actually know what all yeah. might be her life you know uh, especially if she lives on the streets or whatever and i think you have to actually i personally have tried to focus on two things one is to focus on what can change you know and therefore the the navins and kavitas become the talisman i think we all desperately hold on to yeah you know every child who actually has uh, uh, gone forward and uh, i think the other thing is you need to sort of tell yourself and start finding more permanent solutions in my case that helps me because i think oh if i can change or shift a little bit in something larger that will give us more maybe permanent change that one day will touch every child yeah. and i can make my peace with this because otherwise as an ngo i mean chris cries large and can talk about okay we've changed the lives of for 5 million children in our 40 years but we know the situation is really large so to prevent it from becoming overwhelming is hard you just constantly have to tell yourself that this is what i am going to do this is what i am going i for example in my case i've decided i have to look at stuff that is more sustainable where my little bit will have a multiplier effect honestly the choice of an organization like kraya came from that you know you can go and start up your own little organization that helps 200 kids but if you do this and yes you're a small cog in that wheel but it's going to have this multiplier effect and i think the third thing therefore it obliges all of us at least i feel it's it's obligatory on cry to not do anything that doesn't have multiplier effects you know we have to throw our thinking our effort into stuff that has its own multiplier if i start a class for 20 kids i will need one uh, employee vis-a-vis -vis i get that employee to start a school which is ultimately going to affect not just the 200 kids who will access it in that village yeah. but future generations of kids right so i think that is the second solve really uh, and i know it's hard honestly and some days we can be very bad i can tell you that it's not that we are a hunky dory happy place in fact um Uh, you know we have people telling us so oh, you must have a little more joy you must think a little more about the joy because like you're saying on a daily basis you're confronting the data no yeah exactly yeah so uh, it's wonderful what you guys do i think it takes a lot of bravery to also you know be able to put yourself in a situation where you know there are these wins but there are also a lot of other things that you are confronting yeah, there are kids you lose every day right to marriage to malnutrition to youtube but what the government isn't doing we should start talking about what we are doing and what we can do yeah in fact i tell people you know if you don't have money to give do you have counseling skills you know can you come counsel my people can i get coaching we want yeah. a quick rapid fire five questions first thing is what is the one thing that the lockdown has taught you 
the one thing it's taught me is that i can uh, be a warrior when i'm needed what is something that you learned the hard way uh the hard way i think is i've learned to be alone <laughs> who is the one woman who inspires you and why my uh board trustee i think uh, pavin verma she inspires me because she believes in the potential of each human being and that is just amazing what is the best piece of advice that you've received till date till date ah development is not a sprint it's a marathon okay the last one is what's the one thing that you want to see changed or different in this country i think people's attitude to children and their agency and their they need to be allowed to be children wonderful thank you so much for being part of this and having this conversation with me for wearing your heart on your sleeve in moments where it was maybe hard it's been so enlightening to have this conversation with you and uh, i've learned so much and thank you mansha for doing what you're doing <laughs> fantastic see this is one of the many many things people can do thank you fabulous thanks okay bye thank you all the best and with that we come to an end of this episode i hope pooja's words inspire you to take action big or small to help the very many children in india or towards some other cause that's close to your heart i have shared links to the donation and volunteer efforts at cry in the description do check them out and share them with anybody who you think would be interested next week we have carol singh of antidote and vitality hours to talk about intuitive eating and the benefits of juicing and blending among many other things so that you don't miss that episode or any future episodes don't forget to click on the bell icon or the subscribe button in the meantime you can find us on instagram our handle is at the rate heart on my sleeve official if you like to reach out to me personally my handle is at the rate mancha kaur anand see you next week till then stay safe and stay healthy bye इस हब हॉपर ओरिजिनल को सुनने के लिए आपका शुक्रिया अगर आप भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करना चाहते हैं तो हब हॉपर स्टूडियो वेबसाइट पे रजिस्टर करें और एक मिनट के अंदर अंदर अपना खुद का पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करें यही नहीं स्टूडियो देता है आपको पूरी आजादी कहीं भी कभी भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करने की सिर्फ तीन आसान स्टेप्स में तो साथ में अपना पॉडकास्ट शुरू करने के लिए तैयार जस्ट हॉप ऑन हब हॉपर सिंपली कॉन्टेंट